Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Okay, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Melissa Skelton-Duke, who is the Executive Director of Population Health Pharmacy Solutions at Banner Health. In this role, uh, Missy is responsible for the design, deployment, and oversight of innovative pharmacy strategies that provide value to healthcare consumers, providers, and populations. This includes a variety of pharmacist-provided clinical services, population health management services, and patient advocacy programs. Prior to this role, Missy led a comprehensive specialty and home delivery pharmacy programs for Banner Health. Additionally, she led the development of acute care and ambulatory clinical pharmacy services at Intermountain Healthcare. She received her doctor of pharmacy degree from the University of New Mexico and an MS in pharmacotherapy outcomes research from the University of Utah. Missy is also passionate about healthcare policy and leadership. She's held a number of elected and volunteer leadership positions at the state and national level and is always eager to help others engage in the profession of pharmacy. Missy, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Well, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you could fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. (laughs) <laughs> sure. I think the the thing that I often think about when I uh, consider my career trajectory is that most of the things that I set out to do are, were not part of my original plan. And so uh, as I learned through pharmacy school about all of the various directions that, that pharmacists could take their career, uh, I, I went in, in a direction that I wasn't anticipating. And it's been so much fun. And that, that continues to be a theme throughout my career. And and certainly is the case with uh, my exposure to population health pharmacy. And so uh, excited to talk about it today, but it's certainly a surprise to me in my own career to be um, involved in population health pharmacy solutions. Well, that's a great lead in to uh, <laughs> kind of our first topic of what is population health? Sure. It's a great question. And it's one that I, I think many of our health uh, care delivery stakeholders and um, policy makers are questioning. But I think in general terms, um, population health refers to all of the health outcomes that are attribute- attributed to a population of individuals. And those health outcomes can be defined in lots of different ways. They can be defined by things like total cost of care, quality of care, patient perceived quality of life, um, and lots of different, there's lots of different ways to slice and dice it. Um, The other point that I I make when we start talking about population health is that populations are also defined in different ways. Uh, We can look at populations by um, geography. Uh, We can look at populations socioeconomically. We can define them by certain age groups. For example, uh, Medicare population represents um, uh, patients age 65 or older, with a few exceptions, of course. Um, We can also define populations by their membership within a health plan. And in fact, I think this is one of the more functional ways that we look at population health is by um, all of the the people, all of the individuals or members in a given health plan. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really helpful, Missy. And uh, so you are, are serving as the executive director for Population Health Services. So tell us a little bit more about um, pharmacy's role in population health and, and really whose responsibility is it to manage these populations to improve their health? Sure. Well, it's certainly a a team sport, Um, but it's been great over the past year to year and a half that I've been involved with population health solutions within Banner. Um, The definition of what pharmacy contributes has evolved for us. And so, um, for example, uh, one of the things that we've been very involved in is helping to make sure that our healthcare delivery system is able to deliver the value um, in our value-based contracts. And so many times value-based contracts are um, based on things like total cost of care, but they're also based on various um, HEDIS and NCQA quality measures. So things like medication adherence or uh, looking at a population of members who have a diagnosis of diabetes and making sure that those members have an appropriately prescribed statin. And then from there, making sure that they actually take those statins um, as they're prescribed. Um, those are a couple of examples of different ways that pharmacy can contribute to population health um, and specifically with their own health system. Those things are represented in various value-based contracts that we enter into. So um, as we uh, as we learn about uh, what the needs of our population are um, at us at a team level, that includes physicians and our hospital leadership and um, our specialist providers and our health plans. Um, pharmacy is at the table uh, now in ways that we haven't had an opportunity to be at the table, and so we can raise our hand and say, you know what? I think a clinical pharmacist working on this can add a lot of value, and here's how. Um, so we've been able to kind of carve out opportunities for us as a as a pharmacy team um, to contribute to the bigger population health picture. Yeah. So could you dive in a little bit more on that? What are some of the ways that pharmacists, pharmacies, or health systems can market their services and receive payment for medication management services that improve population health? Sure, absolutely. I think it always starts with um, with empathy and, and anticipating what uh, other stakeholders, other members of the team need um, and what their gaps are in delivering those population health outcomes that that um, they're either contracted to do or that, that they recognize that as our, as our care gaps for the population that they're serving. Um, and so the entrepreneurial aspect of that is to really kind of understand what those gaps are and design solutions that help to close some of those gaps. I'll share an example um, of a medication adherence program that we've been able to launch inside of Banner. Uh, medication adherence is one of those really tough measures. Um, it's something that our health plans are accountable for. And many times through value-based contracts um, that is delegated by the health plan to um, healthcare delivery systems and provider groups um, so that those provider groups um, are then incentivized um, to help promote medication adherence. Um, but as many of us in the pharmacy profession know, medication adherence oftentimes um, occurs between the patient decision-making and the pharmacy. And so we have to um, you know, expand our um, our inclusiveness between the health plan and the health system and the pharmacies and the patients who are all um, working together to make sure that our patients are adherent to the medication regimens. And so recognizing all of that within the system that I work in, we sort of looked at, okay, how can we um, leverage all of these different stakeholders to, to make a medication adherence program that works really well and that, that engages all members of that team. And so 
we developed a, a multi-tiered approach that included uh, first and foremost using our health plan um, uh, colleagues to provide us uh, pharmacy claims information that showed uh, patients who weren't picking up their prescription at the schedule we would expect them to. Um, and they do that based on proportion of days covered and various different metrics. And so they're sending us the data to show um, who of their members are maybe at risk of non-adherent or non-adherence rather. Uh, from there, um, we use our clinical pharmacy team and our provider team of, of primary care providers who are seeing these patients um, to start the conversation about the at-risk of you know, non-adherence uh, with the providers. And then we use our um, collaborative practice agreement infrastructure and our clinical pharmacists to contact these members and start a conversation about what medication adherence looks like. Um, we can conduct barriers to adherence assessments and, and have you know, uh, patient-specific uh, plans put together for how we can promote adherence. And sometimes that includes rewriting a prescription from a 30-day supply to a 90-day supply. Oftentimes it includes synchronizing the medications um, so that the patient only has to go to the pharmacy on a, on a less frequent basis um, and they can pick up uh, as many of their medications as at one time as possible. Um, sometimes it's a financial barrier and we can work with our pharmacy patient advocacy program uh, to find less expensive alternatives or connect the patient to a financial assistance program. Um, and so we've developed this, this toolkit that our clinical pharmacists and our primary care providers can use um, to engage those, those patients and members in those conversations. Um, and then the, the last component is, is really engaging those community pharmacies and pharmacists who are in those pharmacies to do the same thing. Um, they have oftentimes the best relationships um, with their patients. And so if we can share, again, the claims data that shows that they're at risk of non-adherence with those pharmacists in the community pharmacy setting um, and encourage them to engage their patients in, in those conversations or maybe just do a simple refill reminder call uh, for those patients. And that really does go a long way towards um, improving medication adherence at the population level. Um, we we launched a, this program, which again is kind of comprehensive of all of those things that I mentioned, in May um, within one of our um, health plans and uh, very excited to share that we, we expect to end the year at a high rating on the medication adherence measure. So um, the at least early experience that we have is, is very encouraging for us to continue to grow in this direction. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready to use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Awesome. And so Missy, this is a, such a benefit to the, the healthcare system because not adherence is a estimated 100 to $300 billion issue a year. And so there's there's just tremendous impact there. Um, so you mentioned a couple times about payers. What are some of the ways that uh, the healthcare payers, including CMS, who usually um, kind of sets things and then everyone else kind of follows, um, are partnering with healthcare providers to uh, address population health needs at the direct patient care level? 
Sure. I think um, I think the value-based contracts are certainly one of the ways that, that CMS and the to provide Medicare Advantage um, and, and Part D programs are, are, those are definitely one of the ways that they're um, promoting population health. Um, and so health systems and, and pharmacies in particular are in a great position to partner with those health plans. They're administering those arrangements. Um, certainly things like um, the PQA and then the associated DIR fee infrastructure, that is um, that is one of those examples. And that's certainly a controversial one in our profession right now. But um, ideally, it, that program is intended to engage community pharmacies to um uh, promote medication adherence, promote those high quality um, care processes that, that help those members stay successful on their therapy. So that that's one good example. But I think for um, community pharmacies and pharmacists who practice in clinics or in health systems, um, one of the best ways to engage in that process is to form relationships with those health plans and understand what their gaps are and what they're struggling to manage on their own. And then from there, you, the next step is to build out a product um, and test it. So it's one of those things I've learned um, in, in my time and working with population health, but also just working in ambulatory care pharmacy in general is that you have to build it before they will come. And so um, if, if community pharmacists or pharmacies in general are approaching health plans um, to just talk about a problem without having a solution and a plan and a program in place, um, then it tends to be a slower uh, conversation to get started. But if you can develop a medication adherence program, for example, or uh, transitions of care program and um, share what that would look like and build it out, then um, the conversation tends to pick up momentum much more quickly. Um, so I think anticipating the questions that will come up from your health plan colleagues and um, developing answers to those things and developing those programs is, um, is an essential success factor. The other thing that we've learned um, that is a, a very important success factor in these kinds of programs and services is uh, making sure that as you're building out the programs that you have metrics in mind um, that help to define success of the overall program. So those key performance indicators, making sure that you know what they are, um, and then secondarily making sure that you have a way to track the data that allows you to analyze uh, your performance against those key performance indicators. We have to be able to show the value of what we're doing um, and quantify that value in order to make it meaningful um, to health plans and make it meaningful to CMS and, and folks who may be willing to contract with us for those services. Yes, that's such a great point and that you've got to be able to deliver outcomes and to deliver those outcomes, you got to know what you're measuring. Um, so you guys have have built out an, an amazing program, it sounds like, and and have a toolkit. Uh, and so once you did that, you were it was probably a, a much easier sell to um, get compensated for some of that work that you're doing. Um, so, Missy, what is some advice that you would have for pharmacists who want to learn more about population health? Um, and how do you recommend that they become in, really engaged in um, these types of population health management programs and services? Sure. Um, it, it's, a great, it's a great question. And I think that it's something that I encourage anyone in the pharmacy profession who is interested in the topic 
um, to to really lean into it and engage in the the dialogue. So go to the meetings where population health management strategies are being talked about. Um, join the you know join the professional associations that are. Um, building out the infrastructure and having these conversations now so that you can help to to shape uh, how those things look. Um, But even outside of the pharmacy profession, there are um, a lot of demonstration projects that are happening at the state level with Medicaid programs and at the federal level with CMS um, that I would encourage pharmacists to learn about and and get engaged in. Um, I would encourage any pharmacist who works closely with uh, their health systems that are are, uh, local to them or provider groups that are local to them um, to again, uh, kind of understand what uh, what their headaches and frustrations are, and where they might they might need help, um, and then build those programs and services around those gaps. I think that's that's a great way to to get started in this space. Um, the other thing that I'll mention um, is that health systems are. Uh, oh, sorry, Hillary, can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, health systems are oftentimes. Um, focused on a few key priorities, but there's a lot of opportunity that they have left on the table. And that's where I think community pharmacy partners um, can really jump in and add value. Um, Health plan partners can jump in and add value. So there's a lot of different stakeholders that that can really bring um, color and and bring diversity to the picture because um, health systems, I think, are focused on it, but they're not able to always, you know, uh, meet every single uh, measure uh, just based on the amount of uh, responsibilities that they have. The other thing that I'll mention about that is that it's not necessarily, all these gaps aren't necessarily closed with services alone. And so I think pharmacists as care providers um, tend to think that they can close gaps by engaging the patient and um, motivational interviewing and providing them tools and resources and education uh, to help get there. And that's that's a great, that's really important. But there's also a lot of sort of systematic and infrastructural Uh, changes that are very important to deliver population health management goals. And so one example is benefit design. Um, And so that's where I think having pharmacists who are providing the direct patient care and getting the feedback from the patient can use that information and their relationships that they develop with health plans and um, with various stakeholders at the state and federal level to say, you know what, we've got to change the benefit design if we're going to move the needle on this measure. So MedAdherence is a great example of that, where um, sometimes a copay is uh, largely unaffordable uh, for members, or sometimes it's very difficult um, to uh, to get the 90-day script in place. And um, sometimes it's a, a network issue. Um, the patient might not have a pharmacy that's in their network that's that's close by that they can use, or the pharmacy that is in their network doesn't have the med synchronization um, programs in place. And so there's a lot of sort of infrastructure that I think can be addressed uh, to help uh, close some of those population health gaps as well. Mm-hmm. And Missy, you mentioned, you know, trying to, to stay on top of some of these things. Um, it, it is important to follow policies and, you know, what's going on both at the the state, local and national level. I know that that's something that um, you've been really passionate about. And um, that's, that's obviously a key ingredient to make sure that that pharmacy is is staying ahead of the trends and um, and and looking to serve and, and fill uh, where there are opportunities um, and, and and I believe 
kind of, could you tell a little bit more about um, maybe what some, some tips for, for staying on top of policies and um, what you found to be helpful in uh, keeping you up to date in that arena? Absolutely. I think um, when I think about policy, I think that much of what happens that affects our day-to-day practices um, and even things like our population health management strategies, it's local. It's local at the state level. And so the first step is to be a member of your state pharmacy association. Um, your, our pharmacy associations are working hard with our state legislatures to make sure that they um, promote the role of the pharmacist. And they also take on those, some, those, some of those infrastructure challenges and barriers that we face on a day-to-day basis. And so engaging in the conversation um, with your state association is, a, is an amazing first step to take. Um, you will you will develop your network through that process. Um, you will meet um, peers and colleagues who uh, are like-minded or who are addressing the same kind of challenges that you are addressing. And so that that you know, in addition to making the state association um, stronger with your perspective, you can also um, use networking to build up your own practice and and learn from other folks that are doing the same things that you're doing. So I'm a huge advocate of being a member of your local pharmacy organizations because they're doing a lot of work um, already on our behalf. Um, So so becoming a member and becoming active in those organizations really helps to make them stronger. Um, And and they're, again, working on behalf of all of us. Um, I would also recommend that um, you engage in your state uh, Medicaid pharmacy and therapeutics committee process. Um, get to know your uh, policymakers at the state level as far as uh, as far as your Medicaid program goes. Um, understand your legislative process and get to know your own legislators. Uh, many times, because healthcare is so regulated, that um, as we push to innovate, that requires a regulatory or a statutory change. Um, and so, understanding how that process works is. Uh, important. Um, my, my other piece of advice on that topic is that it can sometimes be intimidating um, to show up at the state legislator, legislature or to reach out to your own individual legislator. Um, but uh, I would encourage everybody to uh, lean into that anyway. Um, our legislators are, are real folks, just like us. Many of them um, maintain a day job in addition to being a state legislator. Um, and so it, it, it's not as intimidating once you get into it as it might seem from the outside looking in. Um, and really what they're looking for is for you to share your own experience, your own observations, your ideas for a solution. And then they can help um, take those next steps and turn that into um, a bill or a proposal for a regulatory change uh, and so on and so forth. So that's my first piece of advice. Um, and then I would repeat that same advice at the national level. Our national pharmacy associations are working hard on our behalf. Um, And so I encourage everybody to be a member and be active in those associations. Beyond that, um, I think familiarizing yourself with the CMS website and the um, CMMI programming that's going on around uh, population health is very important. There are great uh, demonstration projects that are available um, uh, to participate in. There are, um, there are constant uh, articles and things being published on this topic uh, where, where our healthcare delivery stakeholders and our health um, management stakeholders, people like CMS and those who work with CMS are publishing all the time uh, new information and, and um, uh, guidance for population health management strategies. I know one specific um, key area of focus right now are social determinants of health. And I think our our industry is uh, working to understand how social determinants of health 
um, impact um, healthcare delivery and how healthcare delivery impacts those things. And we're trying to figure out effective strategies to address um, social determinants of health. Um, and uh, and there's still a lot of learning that we have to, to go through um, in that process. And so it's great to enter those conversations and, and also just kind of track and trend uh, the progress that the profession makes across the country. Certainly. Well, those are all really great tips. And uh, I think that, yeah, just breaking it down that that these legislators are people too, and, and it's all about relationship building. Um, the CMS, CMS website is another great tip. So hopefully people can... Um, can go there and um, be familiar with the CMMI initiatives. Um, so, Missy, I uh, want to ask a final question that I ask all of our guests, and that is, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? Oh, gosh, what a great question. Um, I think that I would tell my younger self that uh, you, it, 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 you don't have to have the answers going into the, the solution. You don't, you know, when, when you see an opportunity, um, it's okay to take the next step without necessarily knowing what the final answer or the final solution is going to be. Um, you can always ask questions. You can always course correct, um, as you jump in. And so I, I would encourage myself and I would encourage anyone who is new to the profession to, um, to jump into conversations, even if they don't feel like they have the expertise, um, to contribute a lot. I think we all surprise ourselves, um, as we, as we do that. And we take those, um, those opportunities to be courageous and, and volunteer for assignments and, um, raise your hand and ask for, um, uh, a committee appointment or assignment from your boss or an assignment from, um, a colleague or a, a peer, uh, to help uh, get some of that practice exposure and experience. I think all of those things really build up um, into a set of expertise and experiences that help us to be well-rounded um, clinicians and well-rounded pharmacy leaders. And so I encourage everybody to just uh, uh, try new things and, and don't worry about developing an expert set of experiences and expertise before you take those risks. I think taking those risks and then figuring out as you go is, is a, great, uh, a great tool for learning. Yeah, definitely. That's some great advice. And I just really enjoy getting to meet you uh, back in November at the Healthcare Management Academy and thought, wow, um, she's got some great experience and great knowledge. Uh, and we got to get her on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. So thank you so <laughs> much for being a guest. Certainly a pleasure. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group, for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.